Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. John and Justin back in the saddle. I think I've used that once already too much. I'm going to toss that back in the saddle. What the hell is that? We're coming back every single week. And, uh, you know, this week, John, I don't think you're real happy about being right on your predictions, and really it could have gone completely the other way, but you said the Celtics would go 1-3. and three. This was by far the most pessimistic you've been on the year. I said they'd go 2-2, two and two, steal one against Houston. They almost did, but not quite, and really they probably should have held their held their ground against Toronto and definitely should have beat Oklahoma City. Really, the reserves having that game in hand last night but we wind up looking back on the on the week and the team is one and three slipping a little bit and yes that's right the injuries are just going round and round and round the outside Isaiah Thomas now down 10 maybe 14 days he says he'll be back on Wednesday for the game against the Spurs but we'll see about that Typically 10 to 14 days. So here's another injury. I, I think there is a silver lining here, but we'll get to that in a minute. John, maybe talk a little bit about how great you feel about calling the one in three week. Yeah, I'm really excited. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> great show. Having such a great, no, no, I mean, come on. This sucks, man. This, this is, yeah, totally this is sucks to be right. No doubt. It, it does. I don't, you know, it's one thing if I made money off this, but I, I don't think I'd feel good about that either. I mean, this, this team just is not good right now. You go and look at the schedule and say, okay, how many good teams are they going to play in that week? And they're going to lose 80% of those games. It's, it's completely, completely maddening. Three losses, all three very winnable games, all three there for the taking in the fourth quarter, and all three choked away. And we're going to get into the, the, the whys on this and why we are where we are. But, you know, certainly Isaiah Thomas's injury against the Houston Rockets looms very large, but it's deeper than that, man. And I, and this has been a season long malaise. It's, it's injuries, uh, and, and there's no doubt that that has part of that. But I think it may even go deeper than that in terms of makeup of the roster. You, you know, you need, whereas your your margins are so small on every single matchup you have and every single situation you have, and when you have injuries that that make your make you unable to to have cohesion, it's really hard. It's really hard to you know to execute well at the end of games. And, you know, it's also just hard when you're forced to play multiple positions and out of position, and we're going to get into that too there because we go. the Isaiah Thomas injury opens up the door for Marcus Smart to really move into exactly the topic we discussed last week, which was yep. why are we forcing him out of his natural position the way that we saw Doc do that to Avery Bradley? I understand 
It's a lot about how can we get this player who deserves to be on the court the most minutes possible. And that was the reasoning for it with Avery Bradley. But it wasn't until he sent Ray Allen to the bench, got inserted into the starting lineup, that he really began to grow as a player. And he's continued to grow year after year since then. The Marcus Smart story is, it's really funny because I feel like I totally teed it up. And then with the Isaiah Thomas injury, we really got to see that on display this week. Absolutely. He he is the team's the best the team's best distributor, the team's best in, in Marcus Smart, the one who has the best ability to run the team and and get people moving the ball. I mean that there were parts in that second half were an absolute clinic against arguably the best point guard in the league, complete and as a complete player, well, not off just his arguably. Defense. Come on, they well, broke his triple double streak. It's not arguably; he's the best point guard right well, now. Well, I, I understand know, the record, get, but look at where you, they're well, at right now: fifteen and you, nine, and a major chemistry struggle with the fact that that Kevin Durant left. Yeah, but you've got the two-time MVP playing in Golden State, so I, I don't want to. I don't want to take that away from. But but you're right. He, right now, he's he's on a historic pace. Right now, let me he's ask you that. His- I, I understand what you're saying, but look at the players around him. Let me just ask you this, because and this was a point Scal made during the broadcast against Oklahoma City. He was like, this guy's averaging a triple-double, and he's got a a bunch of players around him that aren't known to be knockdown shooters. You can definitely point to Steph Curry, and I don't mean any disrespect, but you take Steph Curry off of the Golden State Warriors and put him onto this team, do you think he's he's going for triple-doubles the way Russ is? No. Definitely not. No. But but that, to me, is the answer to that question. But for the same reason that people kind of got on Rondo for the fact that those triple doubles aren't exactly, you know, sometimes it can mean a lot more the number than, than the impact. And I'm not trying to say that he's not a good player. He's obviously a great player, but I don't know that that's necessarily the ultimate sign of, of who's better, who isn't. Having Do you think Marcus that, Smart wants to be Russell Westbrook in a way? No, no I don't. Because it's he, interesting think, how he gets up for those games. I mean, we've, yeah. we've, we've seen that historically and everybody tweeted it out, but he had yet another very good game against Oklahoma City. Yeah, he did. And, and last year, of course, remember there was the, you know, <laughs> there was the whole, Mar- you know, after Marcus played so well and, and the infamous line from, uh, West Berkeley says, you know, don't get it twisted and, <laughs> You know, it was, Dude, that he was, was upset. He was, was upset ha- when he said he that. That ha- was so hilarious. I know it was great. You know, and so look, Smart is playing great ball. Marcus is is really coming into his own. But I think we have to talk about what his role in this team should be, and in, in, in a much larger sense than what we've been doing so far. Because, you know, I, I personally, I'd like to see him as the team's primary distributor all the time. I mean, you've got a great passer in Horford. You've got good passers at other positions on the floor. Uh, I think Olenek's a good passer for his position. I'd like to see. I'd like to see more Marcus Smart in that role with better players around him. And somebody's got to go, bro. Somebody's got to go if that's going to happen. I I think so. I've been on the the, the, they someone's got to go train for far too long, you know. And it's Avery Bradley to me. He's the guy. He's the guy you got to move to me. But hey, that's. Apparently that's not where we're not at that Let point. Let me yet. ask you a question. There we are. I I I hear you. 
And I also understand Isaiah Thomas's value. And I'm not trying to go all talk radio hot take right now because I know this has been one of the biggest hot takes. Even though the team went one and three, the team's playing better without Isaiah. I'm gonna just put a spin on it though. Okay? Cause I, you know, and I know founder, CLNS radio founder, network founder Nick Gelso said literally the night before or that day, I can't remember, but you and, and Nick and I had a debate on Twitter about injuries and I said I'm worried about Avery Bradley and I think that was last Monday actually, right, right after the broadcast came out. And then lo and behold that night Isaiah gets hurt and Nick is like, see? See? And, but the thing I'll say is this. The team, you say Avery Bradley, and you say Avery Bradley because Isaiah Thomas is the go-to scorer. But what if the trade included Isaiah Thomas and brought somebody who could be the go-to scorer versus you get rid of Avery Bradley and then you play Isaiah at this hybrid 1-2 alongside Marcus Smart at a 1-2? Doesn't that still kind of work awkwardly for this team, even if you trade Bradley? I mean, it depends upon the person. I mean, the cop-out answer is it depends upon who it is. I mean, if you bring back Kevin Durant, then yeah, it doesn't matter who it is. But, but the problem is, is you need more people like Isaiah Thomas on the floor. It's not like, well, you need one go to score. You need multiple guys who can, who can create their own shot. He's the only guy on this team that can put the, put the ball in his hands and create him, create a, an offensive opportunity for himself and sometimes other people. There's nobody else on this team that does that consistently well. And most good teams have multiple players who can do that. You know, the Warriors aside, I mean, you, you had a guy in Kevin Garnett who could, who could get the ball in the post. He could turn and do that. Paul Pierce, who could create his own shot from anywhere on the court. Even Ray Allen had some abilities to, to get off a, a good shot and didn't have to run around picks. There's nobody on this team who has that. Bradley started trying to do that and the ball movement stopped. Things started coalescing, coalescing to the point where they, really the offense sputtered, and that's not good enough. You know, I don't think Horford's that guy. Horford's a guy who's a facilitator, who's who's a great cog in making other things work in the same way that Garnett did. But but that's he's not the offensive force. I'm just not that, sure that trading Avery Bradley really solves your problem. You know, well he's and, part of a bigger package, of course, and so so could Isaiah in that same breath. But you're adding him to Isaiah in this case, as opposed to I think it's taking away your one go-to score. I, I I love Marcus, and I love what we're seeing. But he's got to be if if you want to go a little bit bigger in the backcourt, he's at the one, and then you know Bradley's at the two or whatever. But I'm just saying, I don't see I I don't see Marcus Smart's fit. Isaiah Thomas and Bradley play much better off of each other than an Isaiah Thomas Marcus Smart one two combo. And so you've either got to play Marcus at the one and let him be the ball distributor because he's not a shooting guard. And I and I get it. I understand you put Marcus on the ball and you start to play Isaiah even more off the ball like we saw last season. And I see how you can kind of make that work. But really Marcus needs to be at the one full fledged. He needs to be distributing and I think Isaiah needs the ball in his hands to do a lot of the things that he does. Not that Marcus couldn't, you know, move away and, and he's knocking down the three-pointer now, I think, regularly enough. I think I like what I've seen from his shot. I think he did make enough improvement in the offseason. I'm happy with it. Um, it's it's dropping when he wants it to. But I still think it's an imbalanced one, too. I, I, think, I think Avery Bradley is better 
alongside Isaiah Thomas in the starting lineup, which then when you look at the play of somebody like Terry Rozier, who can definitely come in and still distribute the offense, and he's maybe better suited for that spark plug energy off the bench, you start to wonder if Marcus Smart isn't the player just for the roster as constituted, which is why I asked you the question the way I asked it to you. I think for the roster roster as constituted, Marcus Smart may be the player that is better suited for trade. I think I think that may be the case. I mean, I think, for one, any trade they're going to do is going to be multiple pieces anyway. So it's going to be a lot for column A, B, C, and D to get that next guy because they're not going to trade. You know, it's not going to be a – I sincerely doubt it's going to be a Marcus Smart for Nerland's Noel type trade. I don't, I don't see that being the way that the Celtics – operate it's going to be lots of pieces so on the one hand it it, you know but i i get your larger point which is the roster construction after the fact and and who's the most uh who can you do away with the most and not hurt who you are i suppose and i hear what you're saying about bradley bradley i think that he does play well off smart or off of off of uh isaiah and i think i don't think bradley plays badly off of smart either frankly i don't think i think bradley is is fairly you you walked right into where i'm taking this conversation which is if you really look at the main debate that's been going on is do you play patient and let the youth movement evolve a little bit or (laughs) is it all in on win now and I literally think it comes down to Isaiah Thomas and Marcus Smart and I don't I'm not saying like put them in a ring and you know let them fight it out you know I'm just saying no animosity to either player I just think if you're going to make a move the win now move is you keep Isaiah Thomas the uh, let's try to win now, but let's not mortgage the future. Then, you know, maybe Isaiah comes back off the bench and you trade some. I mean, it gets really complicated, but at some point, if you're talking about playing for the future, Marcus has got to move into the starting role. He he needs to be given the opportunity to uh, to move in and take over the team. And, and if he can't have that opportunity, which is understandable, especially in a win-now stance, and Al Horford indicates that that's probably the case, then I think we're really talking about Marcus Smart is an asset and probably going to be even more of an asset not playing out of position while Isaiah Thomas is out and other teams being able to see what he's really capable of. It's sort of raising his trade value and that diamond. He really isn't a diamond in the rough having been the sixth overall pick, but just based on what people expected out of him and how the knock on him has been that he has really underachieved versus what they thought he could be, I think watching him make some the passes he's making right now is not something I think people recognize that he had in his arsenal. I think you're I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that that was that that's been I think a revelation in some parts, and I think also it's been the type of of move that has allowed. Probably, I think a lot of GMs and and those to maybe take another look at Marcus and say, "Well, wait, hold on a second here." You know, it's games like these against a guy like Russell Westbrook that stand out, or you know, less so. It didn't really happen so much against um, against Houston, but you know, those games that that are kind of in the other conference because you really don't think Danny's going to trade within the conference. You know, you, you got to think he's going to send you know his highest draft pick aside from Brown. 
to the other conference, you know. So to see both those guys, this was a great night for Celtic draft stock and and for the, the, the trade chips, as they are, to be dealt. This is a good night for them, and it's actually been a good week for that. And in and, and long term, that's good for the Celtics. Either they're getting better, and that's going to help them in the long run, or it's going to help them be able to deal them so they can get better players. All good. All good stuff. The problem yeah, is it, they went one and three. Yeah, the problem is they went one and three, no doubt. But I'll tell you what, they should have won the game last night against Oklahoma City because, and I think this is the biggest issue, and you and I talked about it a little bit before we got on the air here, but I think the, one of the biggest issues was the fact that when Crowder fouled out, and it wasn't that Terry Rozier didn't deserve the minutes. He probably played the most aggressive. He had some really crazy moves along the baseline line to keep the ball alive when the bench unit was actually expanding the lead against Oklahoma City with less than six minutes to go. Uh, Brad left that unit in maybe longer than he normally would, but how could he not? They were playing excellent. So Terry deserved the minutes, but I, I'm really getting sick of the three guard lineup now. It's, it's starting to, <laughs> it's starting to get under my skin because I just think they're too small. And yes, it, you get away with it with Isaiah Thomas because you do have a scorer and it's a lot easier to put smart at the three, but it definitely doesn't work without Isaiah Thomas because you're not producing any offense with that athleticism. And if you're not producing the offense, then what is the point of having a three guard lineup out there? So I think he made a mistake. I, I know it's tough when Crowder goes out because you don't really have a natural three to come in. Even Jalen Brown tends to play more of a four at the three, but he started to knock down his three-point shot. He's looked much smoother, and in that game, he had been in a very confident aggressor. A couple of boneheaded plays back-to-back in the first half, but when he got back on the court in the second half, and even he had a couple of nice plays after that in the first half, but he got back on the court, he played confident. I think he earned the opportunity, and you don't lose. Here's the thing with Jalen. You don't lose any of the athleticism that you would have had in a three-guard lineup by putting Jalen out there at the three. Then, and this is really the key reason I say it, it's a lot less about Brown versus Rozier. And as it ties to our Marcus Smart conversation, it really just makes more sense to know, knowing that Marcus Smart is the glue that's holding everything together and Brad's substitution patterns support that because everything goes defunct when he's not on the floor right now. Knowing that, why wouldn't you keep Marcus at the one to close out that game? Well, well, okay, there's a lot there I got to unpack, but I think, I mean, are you saying are you saying that Marcus wasn't at the one? Not really. I mean, they had the three guard lineup, so he had to play the three on defense. Then he's then he's out of position there. And yes, I understand he had a little bit of the ball in his hand, but you have Terry, you have Avery Bradley, and as you said earlier, Avery tried to create all that offense instead of Marcus facilitating it. But I think I think that's I don't think that's I think that's partly on Avery. I mean, making the decision to kind of go in that. I think it's also on Brad for making the play call. He's he was making the play calls there on the side, and I think just saying what we said earlier, he 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 screwed this up a bit. You know, I think. Yeah, he but was look. All right. So, but let me clear. Let me clarify guy. then. Let me clarify. Okay. If if you're setting up the offense, right now, Marcus Smart's played the one, the two, or the three, so he kind of knows where he's supposed to be in all those sets, regardless. 
But even if Marcus is the one in the three-guard lineup, neither Bradley nor Rozier gets any run at the three enough to make those sets work smoothly. And I think that's part of the reason the ball came out of Marcus Smart's hands anyway. Even though maybe you could say he was the one, the ball still came out of I think that's why it found its I, way to Bradley. Yeah, but see, I don't, I don't think, I don't look at it as, I, I think there's a question of what you're, what you're, what you're being asked to do. And I don't think he, I think, I don't think that what he was being asked to do wasn't uh, a point guard related duty. It's that, that he called ISO. He called, he, he tried to force the ball into Bradley's hands as opposed to letting the play kind of organically happen as, as it had been going throughout the fourth, the, the second half of the third quarter and the fourth quarter, which but was that goes you know, kind back of to our conversation from last week. You're, fo- you're forcing market. Look, in that three guard lineup, what, what is Marcus's role? Every time he plays the three, so now I don't. But I don't. No, I don't agree with that though. I don't agree with that because you think what you're it's saying is you're position. saying it's like size. It's like he's six four. He's the biggest of those guys. And no, has, I'm talking about his function in the sets. When but I don't, no, set. I don't agree with that at all. I agree with it when Isaiah is the ball dominant point guard. Yes, then I think he is playing much more a small forward role. But tonight, I don't think he was at all that small forward. No, I get I that. I get your point. My point yeah. is he's used to being the three in those three-guard sets, okay. and none of the other guards are. So it gets disjointed because he's forced out of position to play the three in those three-guard okay. lineups, and things get confusing. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. I really don't know how much different what their what their play calls are, are considering are, are are dependent upon those things. Yeah, you know, I guess is what I'm saying. I I don't know. For example, that that Crowder, what Crowder is running off of a certain set is all that different than you know, kind of where where Rozier would be plugging in in a different way. I I don't know that. I mean, I, I'm looking more on the offensive side. Right, that's kind of where we're focused. That's totally what I'm saying. Yeah. Defensively, I think yeah. it's fine. You know, Bradley stays at the two. Rozier picks up the one. Smart plays the three, and that's natural. But when we know that Marcus is the distributor on offense, and then they come down the floor, and all of a sudden, like Rozier is a little bit more used to having the ball in his hands when he comes in, and. Bradley is obviously working off ball 90% of the time and Marcus is, has been facilitating the offense or plays the three. And I just think it gets a little disjointed because that's not a natural three guard lineup for them. You don't see Rozier, Bradley and smart out there in a three guard lineup very often. And I think that's where some of the yeah. confusion, if you're going to run a three guard lineup, Isaiah Thomas is at the helm. Well, that's right. And of course, you know, there's the, with injuries, there's nothing you can do about that. I guess, you know, the larger questions that we were talking about earlier in terms of roster construction and, and can you stay with these guys? You know, can, is there an either or versus smart Isaiah? I think that's, I think that's one question. I think the other question that we're, you know, talking about here is this issue of, of how, how they all fit. And, you know, we, we talked about this going quite a bit going back to the, uh, you know, going back to the preseason about how to integrate that second into the first. I think at times it's worked. I think at times it hasn't worked so well. And, you know, this is part of the problem of drafting three point guards or, or two point guards and then and going to Isaiah Thomas. They have a guard heavy team. We're waiting for that one trade to kind of create that balance that we've all been trying to get to. We're just waiting for it. And 
who's going to be the person out the door. We'll see. All right. So there is a silver lining to this playbook. See how I did that? And wow. we're going to get to it when we come back from the break. Amazingly, we're already halfway through the show. A lot of energy, a lot of talk about. It. I mean, every time things go bad, things blow up. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, we can nitpick the crap out of anything at this point, but follow Celtic stuff live on Twitter at CSL underscore tweet live, as well as myself at CSL underscore Justin Duke is at CSL underscore Duke, the entire CLNS radio network at CLNS radio, facebook.com forward slash CLNS fans. You'll find all of us there and download the CLNS radio app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS radio in your app marketplace and don't forget forget the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash CLNS radio for high definition, full length locker room interviews and the garden report with Jared Weiss, our newest sponsor, Blue Apron. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. I can tell you, John and I both have had an opportunity to cook a number of Blue Apron meals. They know that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make great meals. You get a chance to spend time with the family, a loved one, or, hey, why not invite a friend over for dinner? If you're somebody that goes out and eats out to eat two to three nights regularly. This is a very nice alternative. And for less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients. So you get delicious home-cooked meals. I can tell you I am not a good cook, but the meals when they were plated looked exactly like they did on the cards that came with them with the instructions and the ingredients. Calories are listed on there for anybody who is counting calories, and it's flexible. You can customize your recipes each week. You can choose delivery options to fit your needs. There's no commitment. That's also really nice. You only get the deliveries when you want them. So check out this week's menu. And the other thing we're giving you is three meals for free with free shipping. Just go to blueapron.com forward slash CSL 2016. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com forward slash CSL 2016. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And now a quick word from another one of our sponsors, Audible.com, and we'll be right back after this to talk about the silver lining in this dark and mysterious cloud that has been a 1-3 in record over the past week. All right, we're back. And I think, John, as we teased right before the quick break there, I think that really one of the benefits of this is that the bench will finally develop. You cued it up by saying that transition from the first unit to the second unit. We've talked about it all season long. It's been ugly. But I do think that by giving just one more player deep in Isaiah Thomas's absence is going to help elevate some of these players. And when he does come back, and maybe that'll be Wednesday against the Spurs, but when he does come back, I think the team is going to be better for it. I'm not sure that they've really nailed down the chemistry thing yet. You know, that malaise and the lackadaisical piece that you talked about earlier. But I do think that the team in general is maybe going to be in a little bit better of a groove. Uh, Jalen Brown has benefited. Terry Rozier has benefited. And obviously, maybe we've already talked about it ad nauseum on this show so far, but Marcus Smart has definitely benefited. Jalen had a pretty good week. I mean, I can see see him building confidence and in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma City it was on display 
It's the Justin Poolin Weekly. How's Jalen feeling this week? I did Spot. not mention him last Brought week. Brought to I you swear by to God. <laughs> Audible.com. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think we need to sponsor this because we are we do like to go back. And, and let's be honest, he's the highest draft pick this team has had in a long, 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 long time. So, hey, there's no re- there's a big reason why we should be tracking where he is and his you know his growth. I think it, you know it's it's nice to see. I don't know if I'd say it consistently, but I would say that certainly the good games are coming more often together than not. And that's that's good. That's progress, right? I mean we he had a long spell there where we didn't see anything out of him. So this is this is all good. And now we just have to hope that maybe he can try to to build out a niche of of some solid, consistent efforts that he can build off of. That would be the big thing. Showing some of the things he did he did against uh, well, really this week, but especially against you know goal in Oklahoma City. I mean, taking the ball to the basket strong, finishing strong, playing good defense, rebound. I mean, that's he does those basics. I don't, he doesn't need to be hitting three pointers, though we've seen him do that. If he just does the things he does well, I think that's that's all you can ask for, and that's going to be valuable on this team. As really as we've talked about, they lack size, and they need somebody with his build to be able to go in there and, and mix it up a bit. I think it's the body control that's impressed me this week. There's yeah. still been those moments of, all right, now I'm in the pain and I don't know what to do with the ball, and he traveled in the game against Oklahoma City that was kind of a silly travel. But he is getting his um, – He's getting into position with a little bit more forethought this week. And I think regardless of whether or not he knows what he's going to do, a lot of times when he gets in there, he at least has better body control. And when he faces up to to put in one of those short jumpers, he's hitting it on, in off the glass, and it's because he's squared up and he's in the right position. I think even his three-pointer, I don't know if you've noticed – but I think the release is getting a little bit quicker, and that's coming. That he's—I mean, even the ones that he shoots after the whistle, they—they they tend to drop in. So there's some good signs there for for his shooting. He still has to learn a little bit. I think he he, he does kind of make it up on his way on his way to the rim, and that can be ugly. I mean, it can be really ugly. But you're right. He brings some things to the table that the club doesn't have, and it's definitely that work in the paint. Um, you know, another player, Terry Rozier, I noticed he started to use in his left, and I can't remember. I think I brought it up on the show last week, but I had listened to one of Larry H. Russell's podcasts, and he was talking about Terry. I wish I could remember. I think it was with Keith Smith, and they were talking about how Terry hardly ever goes to the left, goes to his left. And I saw him out on the break. I want to say it was in the game against Orlando, and he was coming in from the left side, but he finished with his right hand, which I took note of and thought was interesting. But an incredibly athletic play that he made uh, in the game against Oklahoma City uh, where he drove and then finished with a sweeping sort of lefty under – underhanded layup but it was just, but it really was almost of a, almost had a a hook effect because of the elevation on the ball after the release and i thought to myself maybe maybe he's not just going to his right but i think he still leans a little more right dominant but brad must a little fire because he is getting more and more confident with the ball in his hand 
I think that I think that's I think you're right. I think he's he's built off of some good things there. Real nice game against Detroit last week. I think that those are the things that he he's needed and in he seems to be playing a lot better when he's been sharing the floor with one or two vets. You know, I think that early on they Brad was having you know basically swapping out his his bench you know and his and his and his first unit guys and so as a result it was really a a pretty lawless place and both Isaiah you know without Isaiah on the floor without Bradley on the floor without Horford on the floor nobody knew what was going on Olenek wasn't back yet it was it just it really was gross and I think now he's Brad's trying to find some ways with his rotations to try to keep some some solid players on the floor with Terry and and with Smart and with Brown and so you know they have those are some anchor pieces from which they can kind of grow and do what they do kind of hopefully take apart some of the things that those players have deficiencies with and be able to cover up for them a bit and I think those things have really paid good dividends is that second unit. I think we've seen that second unit generally play pretty well. Uh, I mean, even against Houston, I thought that really they, they're the one unit that played pretty well uh, in that game against Houston. I mean, the starters shot well, and then the second unit came in well, and then when the starters came back, they didn't have that same fire. And I'd say we also saw that against Toronto. The starters have been more of a problem, I think, as we've kind of gone through this week, then people really let on. And I think that's something that we really need to keep an eye on. Is it something that is related directly to Isaiah? Maybe. But I think, you know, Terry Rozier and, and Jalen Brown's emergence as players have really kind of taken that second unit to the next level. So maybe it just seems more out of balance than than it has been because those guys have really stepped up. What are they just all going to put it together? Right? I mean, I understand matchups on any given night sometimes cause some of that, but it's just very interesting the way that they, one piece works and then the other piece doesn't. Instead of just finally gelling and put, putting it all together. The, the first unit's finally doing well, so now the second unit will do well. Nope, nope, they won't. And then they'll flip flop. And, <laughs> and it's like, they really, when they figure that out, they really should be cruising. Do you feel bad for Al Horford? I mean, he goes, he, he takes one game off for the birth of his daughter, gets completely slammed by Felger, and then rolls into the next week and is receiving an enormous amount of criticism for not hitting, you know, end of the minute, end of the game shots in the final minutes against Houston and, uh, and Oklahoma City. And I, I almost feel bad. I think they're, I think, I don't know. He had that one like bobbled pass that he was supposed to go to Rozier in the game last night against um, the Thunder, but but I almost feel bad for him. I, I I'm not sure he deserves the criticism. I mean, it's he's a he's an excellent ball handler for a four, but and he can facilitate some of the offense. But I think maybe he's they're asking maybe a little bit too much of him in in those scenarios. Now I know just knocking down a shot is knocking down a shot, but. Everybody misses shots. Marcus Smart missed one last night that was a pretty clean look at a game-tying three. Yeah, although I mean, uh, they should have <laughs> they should have been in that position either. I I think that Horford is. I think you're right though. Horford is. I think they are asking too much of him right now. I mean, trying to make him have him create offense out of the high post like that. that that's that's hard. 
You know, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm not saying he can't make good passes, but he's better as the cog that makes things go. You know, he's kind of that, that grease that kind of keeps the machine whirring well and covers up mistakes because he's, he's doing the right thing and makes the right extra pass. And he's the guy that makes you go from, from, uh, you know, kind of an average level to a high level. The problem is, is that I think other players aren't hold it up there under the bargain. I don't think Crowder's had a great week. I mean, first half aside, I mean, second half, you know, two quick fouls basically, and and he's done. You know, I don't think Crowder is really, they need more from him. Uh, Let's let's call this the way it is. A year ago, Jay Crowder was, you know, in conversations to be a... Yep. He was indispensable. He was a guy who was in the running maybe for possibly an all-star spot, although that was probably more on the outside of it. And yes, he was injured and, and that's really slowed him down. Seems like he's got his explosion back, but his game has not returned. Yeah, he and hasn't, he's not going to the rim. He's right. making he, shots, he's but getting, he's not going to the rim. Right. He's hanging back. He's waiting to trail and they need him going north south. If he's not going out north south, we're not getting to the free throw line without starting aside ready. from Isaiah. Maybe that's if he's not attacking the basket, his ankle's not a hundred percent. I mean, just remember when he injured it, he was just starting to really get aggressive, go go at it, get into the paint, draw fouls and ones. When he's not doing that, it's always been related to an ankle injury, and he's just coming back from this one. I I think I think there's still some stuff lingering there. But but you're right. I don't, he is coming back for it. But he, there was a, a couple games. I want to say right before the the Detroit game, where he started going to the basket a little bit. I don't know if he tweaked but it. They don't maybe. tell. I was just going to say they don't ever tell you what when up? they tweak it again a little bit. They certainly don't want the opponent to find out if he's good to go and he's going to play. This is one of the big concerns of the ankle, and we talked about it when he first got hurt. It's like take your time, get a hundred percent. Get it strong. Don't come back. This is the last thing that anybody on this team or anybody who watches this team wants is Jay Crowder fighting through ankle injury. And I know it wasn't a high ankle sprain, but that only means that with a little bit of rest and a little bit of time or or even less minutes, it's more likely to, to get stronger and get better without re-injury. Just take your time with Jay Crowder's health because when he's 100% and he is attacking, it's really a big, big piece of what this team does. I mean, I think defensively he's adequate, but that's the other thing. Maybe I should be paying a little bit more attention to his lateral quickness because that's that's where we saw major deficiencies down the stretch in the playoffs last year with him, even though he was fighting oh, through yeah. the ankle injury. His lateral quickness was horrendous. Guys horrendous. were getting by him. He, Whenever he hedged, he could get kind of locked up, and then they, they'd get around him. I mean, it was it was definitely an issue. I want to throw another one at you, John, because we haven't talked about this, but we said before the season started and before we knew Olenek wasn't going to be back by the beginning of the year, we said how, you know, who should be in the starting lineup? And it's, oh, it's got to be Johnson and, and, and Horford was my stance. And I think we all sort of agreed that's the way it would be to start the year, but that eventually Kelly, Kelly Olenek would emerge. Right. It's time. The way that that defense will just sag into the paint when Johnson mm-hmm. is outside, it's done. And I, the fact that he's taking them just to take them 
it it's it's such a sad display. And I'm really not trying to get on him. And I know he's a, a, a savvy vet from the standpoint of he knows positionally, you know, where he's supposed to be on defense. And I know he does a lot of the little things. But I'm just going to say it's not enough. Kelly Olynyk had a nice rebounding night uh, against the Thunder. And I think it's time. I think it would take a little bit of pressure off of Al. Al could range a little bit in and out. And I think it would give Olenek the room to become aggressive because he wouldn't be trying to create all of the offense for the second unit. Instead, he would be playing the distributor, open three-point shooter in the starting lineup. I think it would serve Kelly really well for a lot of the same reasons you just mentioned, the bench players, the way that Brad's worked the rotations to have vets around them, it's made them better. I think, Kelly, it's time. Put him in the starting lineup and let Jarebko and Johnson anchor the second unit in the front court. I think you're right. I, I, you know, this is having that extra bit of shooting does make a big difference, and especially what we're seeing right now with that starting unit. I'm just not overly impressed with where they are. I think it would be a great thing to be able to put Kelly with that first unit, really spread things out. If we're going to put Marcus Smart as a starter, particularly where Isaiah's not out there right now, I think it's all the more important that we keep things even more spread out and give him more room to kind of work, get those paint touches, and then kick out. And I think that's that's why we want to see Kelly out there. Uh, you know, Amir... Amir is is such a feast or famine guy, you know. It seems like there's times when he's he's going great, and there's times when you're just like, man. And you know, it's it's hard to see, but I think he can do a little bit more next to Jarebko, and you know that way you've always got one shooter on the floor, you know. And I think it's time. I agree with you. I think that one thing that Kelly, you know, he's he's kind of starting to see that rise a little bit. You know, he's starting to kind of get. You know, this is, has been his training camp, basically, you know, the last month or so. It has what it's taken for him to kind of get back to who he's been. Now that he's got a month under his belt, uh, now he has his training camp, now we're starting to see a little bit of the regular Kelly Olenek. I think that we all were hoping that we'd get this year. And question, you would have two veterans in right. that second unit, which is really one of the points you were making. And it might be sort of a steadying well, – you have, I mean, Jarebko's the the senior statesman on the team. So he's a vet. Johnson's a vet. It would allow the younger guards and a Jalen Brown at the three to be able to mingle in with the other players that know where they're supposed to be on the floor at all times. That's right. And you've got, you've got Rozier who can, who can certainly shoot it quite well. Uh, and then if you, if you do move somebody up, you know, you, Bring in maybe a Gerald Green to play next to that group, or or maybe it's James Young. Probably not. But if you did go ten, then you've got a chance to really spread it out and get that extra space. Where right now, you know, the concern is with Amir. You know, do you have some? You know, when you have Amir and Smart out there, it really kind of can clog things up a bit. So you're going to have at least four shooters, semi shooters on the floor. Again, I think that they're they're really kind of held back until Crowder can kind of make that return to to form. But at least they can have some stability from that first unit to the second unit. Right now, it just it seems out of balance. And once Isaiah returns, maybe you go back. Maybe you keep you go back to where you are right now. But I think in the short term, Kelly's got to get that starting nod. I think I think he should get the starting nod for the rest of the year. I, I think it's time. I mean, obviously certain matchups. Withstanding, but even then, I know Brad like tries to get 
sort of an established uh, an established rotation and then stick with it. You just mentioned Gerald Green, maybe a, maybe a quick hitter here, but now that you've seen well seen him play and seen him not play so much, any regrets cutting R.J. Hunt? I mean. Yeah, cutting RJ Hunter and, and keeping green versus what we talked about in training camp. I mean, we're, we're enough games in at this point, 24 games into the season where we can start to take a look at some of this and say, okay, we kind of know what this team is at this point. We know what they were in training camp. We know what we, we hope they would be. The injuries have, the injuries have stunted maybe an objective stance on where this team is at but 24 games is usually you get a pretty good read will they improve from here yes but i just wonder if you think maybe we don't know if any kind of trade may be coming but any regrets on on cutting rj hunter and not giving him one more year hmm that's a good question and i don't know i don't think so i I don't i I was i was against the the saving of Gerald Green in favor of R.J. Hunter just because I felt like Gerald Green does nothing for the future for this team, and chances are R.J. Hunter is going to contribute as much to the success of the 17 Celtics as Gerald Green would, so why give up that asset? But in the end, you know, it's... it's And they didn't use him in the game against the Thunder. Again, Crowder goes down. Yeah. Green is the fit. I know he's not the defender, but... You want to talk about somebody who can shoot the ball. You need some offense. You don't have Isaiah. Who else could you go to? I mean, that's a perfect spot where you might have used green. I mean, I get it defensively, but that is a spot where if you weren't going to go to Jalen Brown, green was another option. If you're not going to green, it's really telling a story for me, which means I was in the same camp as you were. I almost feel like maybe they should have kept R.J. Hunter instead of green. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I, I I don't think I think that I, I understand the rationale behind Rozier because they don't have a lot of guys who can create their own shot. And Rozier is probably one of the few who can, you know, or is working towards becoming that guy who can. Uh, and I think probably in a year's time, or even by the end of this year, he'll be he'll be somebody who they, you can count on consistently to get get himself or get the team some points, but. Having said that, and, and Gerald, you know, he's 30 years old. He is what he is, and he can shoot it pretty well, but yeah, that's about it. And you need more, you, you know, especially <laughs> where they are right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of, <laughs> it's not great. So, look, he's, would, it be, would I like to see James Young more than Gerald Green? Yeah, I would. You know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's that Gerald's just kind of taking up space until, until there's a trade, you know, and maybe you can trade him out of here. I just, yeah, I'm not even sure he really benefits monetarily in any kind of trade. I think it was more about some sort of a veteran presence. And I think the team yeah, decided right. what they knew RJ, regardless of trade, probably wasn't going to have a role in the organization or they wouldn't have cut him. Um, they must have felt confident enough in that long term. Maybe even just from a salary standpoint, easier to let Gerald Green go at the end of the year than to have somebody like RJ and then just say, no, we're not, we're not going to resign you. Hard, hard to say, but we're actually coming up against the end of the show and we've got to make our predictions for this coming week, John. So, um, 
I don't know. Maybe it gets worse before it gets better. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm still gonna stay an optimist here. I'm gonna say the team goes two and one. They lose on the road to the Spurs, and I think just even if Isaiah Thomas comes back, I just, I really have a hard time seeing them win that one. It's a late start, um, and uh, and it is the Spurs. Spurs right now, as it stands this morning, nineteen and five on the season. I think they'll squeak one against the Hornets. They they seem to have matched up pretty well, and after three straight losses, which will be the case if they do lose to the Spurs, they're going to be really hungry for a win. I think they will themselves to victory, and then next Sunday. They go up against the Miami Heat, and Miami's just riddled with injuries, uh, really not playing all that well. And I know how bad they are at injuries because my fantasy league team has Dion Waiters and Justice <laughs> Winslow on it, so they're not they're they're killing me. But next Sunday, it'll be their opportunity to give back. <laughs> their opportunity to give back. Uh, you know, I'd love to be able to say that. Uh, the the sunny side of of John Duke has returned, and I'm all that enthusiastic because they're doing well. And hey, hey guys, isn't it great? No, uh, I I but I will say I think two and one is a fair read on the week. I don't. I think you're right. I think they match up well with Charlotte for whatever reason. That just that's a team that they seem to play hard against, and they kind of rise to that challenge. The Heat are trash. I think that they beat them pretty handily next next week. So two and one. There's no chance they, they. I think they beat the Spurs. They, they played them hard. Trash. I love it. They are. They're hot garbage. Uh, and, <laughs> and 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 the Spurs. I mean, look. That's another one of those games the Celtics should have had. You know, it's a good team. They're playing well, and they play, and they don't close out well. And it's like. How many times? At this point, every every game against a good team, I'm looking back on the previous game how they should have won it and didn't win it. It's it's so freaking maddening, and it it maybe it does. Maybe this is the thing that kind of pushes the Celtics further towards wanting to make a trade. You know, maybe instead of trying to win that that trade by so much, Danny's more willing to make the trade because he realizes this this isn't going well right now. And well, ultimately, you're going to lose value. So if you don't right. make a deal, you're the net. <laughs> the net right. negative is still the same. So at some point, you have to realize you're going to sell more. At you know, you're going to give up more than you get, or more than you wanted to get in trade. But the team is still better for it because you're not going to be able to retain or acquire in free agency next year. You know all that talent. And you know, when we last checked in on their pace, they were still pacing for 49 wins last week and we were feeling pretty good about it. But now they're pacing at 44 wins, which would definitely be ironically after the acquisition of Al Horford, the first season in the Brad Stevens era where he didn't improve over the previous year. Yeah. I think they will pick it up one way or the other, unless they, they really do go into, in and, and kind of build for a youth movement. I just don't see that happening this year. I, I mean, look, it's, it's pretty simple. Their defense has to improve. They're, they're still, as a defensive team, they're middle of the pack. They're, they're 16th in defensive rating. You know, they're not turning the, their opponents over. They're not, they're giving up too many three point shots to get in. They're going in. Um, you know, they're not at the level they need to be. And, and, 
The other issue is pace. They're not playing fast enough. They're not playing with speed. They have all these guards, and they're playing, you know, in the middle of the pack or or bottom third in terms of speed. Like this is this is a problem. They're they're trying. They're not playing as who they need to be, and so they've got to either find themselves or find remember who they are, or you got it's time to to make a, a bigger change and. You know, I see the rumors are starting to fly around. You know, of course, the the Bogut stuff and CLNS Radio has been kind of on the forefront of that, and, and gained some exclusive. The Celtics are, have some some real keen interest in Bogut, and it's that's been also reported elsewhere now. I think also Boogie is out there, and and people are going to continue to talk about Boogie Cousins and continue to talk about John Wall. But these problems need to be fixed here. You know, they got they, they have the players that they could play better. They can play. They can execute. We've seen what Brad Stevens' teams can do. We're just waiting on it, and that's the frustrating thing for all of us. Yeah, and, and we're gonna have to wait a little bit longer. We're not even into January. I know Danny's pulled some early ones. They've almost always been setup trades and not the final trade. But you know, it always depends on what's yeah. available. I've seen a lot of people talk about we need to just make a little a minor upgrade, a little consolidation trade, and maybe yes, maybe no. I'm not sure that those always lend themselves well to the big the big trade, you know, weeks later. I think that almost limits your options in in some ways. You never know, but I I I'm not sure that I see that this year. Uh, th- this, you know, early January, late December, but I think we are just a few days away before that. I know there's a a few players that can't be traded until January, but we're almost to that point where there are players that that now yeah. maybe recently signed contracts are opened up for and available for trade. We're, we're what, Thursday. Just Thursday. So here we the go. 15th. Yeah. I think now, now you can start to see stuff happen. Bogut being one of those guys. Uh, and, and a lot of the Celtics players who signed, they're now going to be available to be dealt. And that, that does, you'll see smaller players move, but you know, remember we had Rondo. Rondo was traded, uh, you know, in, at the end of December. So it's, it's, it has, it yeah, has Rondo was a cancer. They had to make that move. That was a that nobody was a, on this team is a have to make that move. No, no. But you know they weren't going anywhere. It, that wasn't a deal made with anything else in mind other than try to get him out of here and try to reset the the deck. I, they're not doing that. If they're making a deal, they're making a deal for the future. I, the one thing I would say is that if they're going to go out and they're going to make a big deal, it makes sense to make that deal sooner than later. Because I'm with you, but not you, for the you other gotta, teams. you got to get yourself organized if you're going to try to, you know, if you're this this kind of fake news rumor of Boogie Cousins and John Wall, you know, if they did a deal of that magnitude, the sooner the better. If you do that in February, I don't think that's it's it's even worth it at that point because your team is going to be completely messed up. Well, you it's know, worth it because it's set up for next year, but it's not going to necessarily yield results this year for every reason. You're saying chemistry. We're already seeing this team not be able to come together, and, and really the changes from last year are not so significant. So point well taken, and I agree with you. The sooner the better. I just don't think that Danny – 
may want to do that. I don't think that the other teams want to do that because they lose leverage. Everybody knows that once things shake out as you get to the trade deadline and you can get some teams bidding against each other, that's when it really pays off. And that's going to be the concern of any team that would trade with the Celtics is, are we going to be giving up sort of our ability to drive, you know, the, 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 uh, the cost up and get maximum value for, for this player. I also think, and I'm concerned that the Celtics won't be able to make a deal because there are more suitors than sellers at this point. Now I know the Celtics quite likely have the best collection of players and picks. So that makes them front runners, but you just never know what the other team wants and what other teams are willing to give up. And, there aren't a lot of teams that are really feeling all that much pressure to deal anymore. That whole salary cap reasoning for moving players. I think we're going back there from a lot of the rumors about how the CBA is going to shake out, but I don't think it's this year. I think we're still maybe a year or two away from teams making moves, knowing that financially they need some flexibility and they're not getting the wins and they're not packing the seats. So why not get on with it? So to speak. Yeah, I think that I think the the new CBA or the the CBA that was signed four or five years ago has really worked against the Celtics. It's really been it's kind of and then probably more so than than that CBA. It was the sign of the of the new TV rights deal that opened up all the all the pockets and allowed you know teams to sign everyone that they wanted to. That really worked against the Celtics in the long run because everyone could pay. Didn't matter. Oh yeah, we'll pay. We'll pay you thirty million. We'll pay you for forty million. Before with those, you know, when the deals were tight and and the the caps were tight, you had to have it was a hard decision. Last few years, it's been easy. That will kind of tighten up again, and that will help the better GMs like Ainge. And I think that will help it. But until then, we're kind of in this still this period. The, I will say though, the one thing, good thing about all these suitors is that it does kind of raise, heighten the trade, trade market. And I think it maybe it springs loose more players. You know, it may, may allow for, uh, more movement. Yes, maybe the cost will be higher, but the, no one isn't moving anything, just as we were saying. So it's like, until we get to the point where all the teams feel like it's time to move players, we're not going to get any movement at all. It's been kind of a frustrating period for a team that has wanted to trade players for a long, long time, and no one else wants to play. All right, well, we'll, we'll see what happens on Thursday, but definitely as we head towards the All-Star break, and, and if some of if this team doesn't come together, it's only going to add to that sense of urgency. Maybe not for Danny Ainge and the, and the front office, because they've said that's when you make bad decisions, but certainly for the fan base that is getting incredibly antsy. That's going to do it for this week. This broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. Thank you for tuning in and you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Give us a rating and a review. Support the show with your feedback because it is greatly important to us. And a reminder that today's show has been brought to you by Audible.com and BlueApron.com. They've got a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you'd be supporting our show 
and the entire network. And we're giving you three free meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com forward slash CSL 2016. A big thanks to the loyal CLNS radio audience who makes it all worthwhile. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host, John Duke. I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.